Welcome to another edition of the Heron Outlet. He is Austin Roblard. She is Alex Willie. I am Ian Heston. Guys, you know, the good times it had to come to an end eventually. Uh, bookended by two trips to the Big Apple, once against New York City FC. The, that 2-0 loss started the unbeaten streak, five in a row for Inter-Miami, and then a trip right across the river to Harrison, New Jersey against the Red Bulls, uh, ended it a 3-1 loss this past weekend it does put into miami back a little bit into the playoff mix they got some help we'll talk about that a little later in the show but first let's talk about what went wrong obviously uh the the pozuelo red card is where we begin into miami went up off another fantastic set piece strike from gonzalo Higuain, his seventh goal in the past nine games the most informed striker in the league i'd say uh really a, a wonder strike yet again a reminder of the set piece goal that he scored just a couple of weeks ago uh, and, and as, as becoming a habit of doing that. But it really all went wrong with that Pozuelo red card in the 29th minute. He didn't really see Andres Reyes, the name that will sound familiar to those listening to this or watching this. Uh, he didn't see him as he's turning, but gave him basically like a Mortal combat kick to the chest, if you could. Um, <laughs> and, and clearly, I guess, in my opinion, a red card. No way that you're going to get yeah. around that. So Pozuelo out for the game and it really went downhill from there. Lewis Morgan scores right before the half. Uh, New York Red Bulls add two more in the second half to make it a pretty convincing three to one win. Albeit, we'll talk about the end, but let's start with the Pozuelo red card. I guess he's going to miss the, the match on Wednesday against Columbus crew because of the red card suspension. Does anybody have any problem with the red card being called at first? It was initially called a yellow then upon VAR review, changed to a red card. It looked in real time like a red card. And then uh, as soon as it went to review, I think we all knew that it was going to be one. I was actually surprised that the referee pulled out a yellow card to start it off. I, I, like, I, I didn't think that there was any chance that that was anything but a red. He pulls out the yellow. Okay, you get a little bit of a chance. But as soon as it goes to review, I think we all knew what was going to happen. Yeah, I think the referee as a whole was just wildly inconsistent. He's a weird one, though. He's like one of the lowest rated refs in all of MLS. Uh, Yeah. I I can never pronounce his name right. Faustus, he's got a very Greek sounding name. Yeah, it's not surprising. You know, looking around the league, there were several controversial calls throughout the weekend um, in Columbus. I know uh, Lucas Cavallini also got sent off uh, for something that was far more violent than what Pozuelo did. Uh, Pozuelo's uh, red card was honestly... It wasn't done intentionally. You know, he wasn't looking to jab uh, Andres Reyes in the chest on purpose. It was more so ball was coming over his shoulder. He probably didn't see Andres to the last second, maybe tried to pull out of it, but still made contact. No one disagreed that it wasn't a red card. It was absolutely a red. You know, it's just, you know, a given, you know, if that happened to an Inter-Miami player, everyone would be screaming, you know, send the guy off. So, yes, it was absolutely a red on Pozuelo. It was unfortunate, but, um, you know, it is what it is. And, uh, yeah, it's, you know, adversity, uh, you know, it's MLS and every team goes through this and, and every league and, you know, um, he'll miss the Columbus match, which we'll touch on later. But, um, yeah, I think we can all agree it was a red card, you know. Well, that's yeah, what I, I want to we... push back, though, Alex. Yeah, because, like, th- that's really irresponsible. Let- let's just say it. Like, there's mm-hmm. no need to be doing that. You're in a playoff race. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't really understand ever why you would get your – foot up that high i just don't understand what he was thinking in the moment i get i get what he's trying to do yeah i just don't know why you would ever try and do that and he has to understand his role that the team is i mean it, it's too important to to do something so careless 
And I know that like hindsight's 2020, but like, I don't know, I, it does feel a bit irresponsible to, to put yourself in a situation like that. It, it, the stakes are too high right now. I, I don't know. I think it was just completely accidental. I don't know. I think, yes, he probably should have had more spatial awareness, but. Can you <laughs> ever come up with a time when you would like ever playing where you would put your foot up like that? I guess I just don't understand you know, why you would ever attempt to do that. The, the only thing that happens from that is poor, right? Because even if you're able to control that ball, if a defender's coming, he's just going to take it right off you. I just don't get why you would ever attempt that in the first place is, is really where where I come from on it. Yeah, I, yeah, that's fair. I, I don't know. I think it's just because when I played soccer as a kid, I know kids, you know, they're not very coordinated. You know, I well, that, that happened all the time. Uh, of course, it wasn't, you know, stuff to the chest, but, it, you know, it happened all the time, and I'm not trying to defend Pozuelo. I think it was just incidental, accidental, honestly. I, I agree with that. I guess, I, I guess, and maybe it's just that I've maybe watched a little it back careless, too many yeah. times, and each time I'm, I'm like, what were you thinking? Why were yeah. you doing this? That, that maybe just the repetition of it is getting me down that rabbit hole. That's fair. That's fair. I think it was just a little careless, careless by him, and I'm sure... Yeah, Neville had a talking to about it with Pozuelo, and I'm sure once his suspension is over, something like that probably won't happen again. And I, I, I think, go ahead, Austin. Uh, I was it just means Bryce Duke back onto the pitch. That's that's yeah. what that's how you have to look at it. I mean, it happened, it's done, it's over with. Your foot going that high above your head is always going to be reckless in this sport. Um, like you said, Ian, no, nothing good ever comes of it, whether Andres Reyes was that close or not. You just you can't be doing something like that. And um, yeah, I mean, Pozuelo is not going to play simple as that can't dwell on the fact anymore and just understand that Duke is going to have to fill in that role like he did before Pozuelo got here. And let's go to another player who might not play. Gonzalo Higuain is going to have his own challenge because he, uh, according to Phil Neville, got studs right after the Lewis Morgan goal uh, to equalize very late in the first half. He was subbed off as well as Kieran Gibbs at halftime. Uh, very doubtful. We, uh, I was at training on Monday and, and just, it, it, I, I would be very surprised if Gonzalo is playing against Columbus. So uh, with that in mind, you're, you're down the one, two punch that has really carried you through this entire run that you've had here. Uh, you know, the, the options there, Phil had talked to me about it yesterday saying uh, possibly Coco, possibly uh, Ariel Lassiter, uh, possibly uh, Emerson who came on for, uh, for Gonzalo uh, to start the second half. So of those options, you still don't have Campana. So you, you really are, are very thin at striker. Coco did look good there. Um, so I guess, is, is that where you would start with in terms of your options, Alex? It, it, when you start to look at how are we going to, to figure out where who fills these shoes? Yeah, uh, you start quarantine. I think he's been rehabbing enough on that injury and he is a natural striker. You know, he's comfortable playing there. There are a couple of chances against the Red Bulls where he did make a, you know, a bunch of crafty uh, near post runs that just weren't really cited by the team. And I believe he did have one chance where he, he glanced a, a header um, off the, the near post and it didn't quite go in. But that's the sort of movement that you want in a striker. And I think you start quarantine, John. And um, yeah. And then, you know, the options of Lasseter and Emerson are okay, but those guys are wingers. They like playing on the wing. They use their, their speed to get in behind. They're not necessarily the people, the, the guys to uh, play with their back to goal. And, you know, we've seen that sometimes work, sometimes it doesn't, but I think you have a natural striker and, and, and Coco now, and you, you Neville should absolutely go for it until, you know, Iguain and Campana are fit. 
Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I mean, I saw, we saw a little bit. I think it was the San Jose game uh, where we saw Lasseter and Higuain play up top together for a little bit. Um, but I think without Higuain there playing two strikers that look like a Lasseter or an Emerson don't make much sense. You still need that pure number nine to be up there paired with them. So I think that Coco is probably the best option. I think in terms of the attack itself and what you do with a front three, um, I, I think Lasseter has got to be on the pitch. I think you leave him out wide. I, I know we talked about it pregame and I think that we should bring this up for discussion. Indiana Vasilev on this team in the last couple of, in his last performances, in my opinion, simply hasn't been enough. And I'm hoping to see Robert Taylor back up there on the right wing, if possible. Um, and I think that would make me a lot more comfortable having a, a front three of Coco uh, Lassiter and Robert Taylor out on the right, uh, rather than Vasilev being there, because I, I just don't think he's been providing too much, especially centrally, like try, in terms of giving support into the striker. And I think in this match going forward, where you need a number nine to have support, because it's not your one or two, it's not your one, two punch of Pozuelo and Higuain. It's not even Higuain by himself. If you have someone like Robert Taylor, who has proven time and time again, that he can be some sort of a playmaker wherever he is on the pitch, you need that in terms of an extreme number nine substitute situation and which is what we're going to have. Um, so I think it's less about who's going to be at the top. It's more about how are they going to get the guy who's at the top of the ball and put him in good areas. Cause Alex mentioned it. Coco, he showed the movement inside the box. He had that one header later on in the match. I think that he's an attacker who, who can play extremely smart. It's just getting him the ball. And another thing, too, in this New York Red Bulls match, you look at the five-game win streak and what happened in this one, no goals from open play. Yes, they had an outstanding XG number. There was a couple. I mean, the, the Damian Lowe header the, later on in the match, uh, the Higuain chance, those numbers were extremely Damian Lowe had two, high. right? He was all Damian in Lowe on goal two, and exactly. did a defender, a center back's finish, right? Yeah. And that Lasseter, and chance, finish. That, that Lasseter a, chance earlier in the, 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 the game, too. Uh, where it's, he... it's about finishing the chances, and yeah. it's also about getting them, too. So you have to just think. And I think what the point I was going to make was this was the first game that they in six games that they had where they didn't score from open play. And within the five matches that they had where they were unbeaten, they were scoring from open play. So you need to score from open play. It helps them a ton. Uh, so I think it's about getting support into the number nine, whoever they put there. I, th I think we're all assuming it's Coco. Um, and that's why I want to see a front three of Laster, Coco and Taylor. Yeah, I mean, but finishing has been the bugaboo of this team like all year. I mean, we can go back to conversations that we were having in May and April and and that was really the 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 start of I, I think them trying to solve those problems, which is when they started to improve, you saw a little more of a, a potent offense um, that they really started with Campana, then that got carried over to Iguain. Th this problem will compound itself again too, because the news coming out yesterday that that also they might be without DeAndre Yedlin, who is questionable for the game. Uh, Phil described it as a dead leg. Makes sense. Um, he, he's played nearly 1,400 minutes this uh, this season. It's the most that he's played uh, since 2019, um, back when he was at Newcastle. So never played that much for Galatasaray. So I, I, I think, I guess I understand it. Both Noah Allen and Harvey Neville making the trip as possible uh, replacements for him. If he cannot go, that's why you made these moves. That's why you called them up to a senior roster. T talk about trial by fire, though, right, guys? Like, uh, for you to make your first start, uh, your first uh, minutes in, in MLS for Harvey Neville, possibly uh, to be thrown into this situation um, is, is a, a big ask. 
So I, that's why I'll, I'll go back to your point, Austin, about Robert Taylor. And I think that that makes it even more of a, a necessity for him to be there is because we've talked all year long about when, you know, you haven't had it coming, going for Gonzalo, when you haven't had it going for Campana, where else did you find that offense? Well, you found it on that right flank with Yedlin and Taylor working together. So if Taylor's more comfortable being on offense up there, maybe if you if you do have a, a Harvey Neville who does like to get up the field just like Yedlin does, um, it might make him a little more comfortable. It might be a natural sort of uh, fit to allow that uh, maybe another attacking option, but also more comfort along that right side. I, I yeah, I completely agree. I didn't even think about that. Um, because- yeah, same. I mean, I remember there was a it was a Good couple point. games ago we talked about the the imbalance in the attack. Uh, I can't remember the game that it was, but between the combination play with uh, Taylor and Yedlin compared to what Lasseter and McVeigh were doing, there was even that one passing network chart that you showed me in the press conference. And I don't know if you remember, but you just you saw the separation between McVeigh and Lasseter. And you saw how close Taylor and Yedlin were. So I think that if if Taylor can provide that for Harvey Neville, if he is to start because of this Yedlin dead leg, or even play 45 minutes if Yedlin can't go all 90, then 100%, that's who needs to be there for multiple reasons. And I think maybe there was a little bit of a thought of that uh, going into this stretch of games where you had a midweek one coming up and the rest that Robert Taylor got. Uh, granted, you you didn't know the injuries were going to happen, but at the same time, you have to be ready for any and all situations. And Taylor's been playing a ton. He's been playing everywhere, all over the pitch. And if you need him in a game, like you do now, you want them to be ready, fresh, fit, and, and and good to go. So I think that's a that's an outstanding point. Yeah, especially with uh, Robert Taylor's work rate. He if he lines up on that right hand side with Harvey, he could help track back a lot. And and you know Harvey doesn't have to go through that trial by fire. So um, yeah, that's a really good point you guys bring up. And you know, considering Robert Taylor uh, didn't start that last game, um, he'll be fresh and ready. And 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 you know they're definitely going to need their bench uh, heading into these next couple of games. I do want to to touch on that second half against Red Bulls. They did play a majority of it uh, 10 v 11. Red Bulls did get a, a red card of their own, um, which the referee oddly, like off a second le- yellow, I don't think that he realized that he didn't. Yeah. He even the first yellow. That was very bizarre. Yedlin had to like go up and remind him that that, that was in fact the second yellow. Um, as the player was like already off the pitch, everybody but the referee seemed to realize that, which was bizarre. <laughs> Uh, but but that second half, I, I guess I always take when you're down a man with a grain of salt, however you play, um, the Daniel Edelman goal uh, is a 19-year-old kid. He's a rising star for their program. If you haven't heard the name, you're going to hear it a lot in the coming years. Um, so I, I guess I can live with that one. The Caden Clark one, Drake would probably tell you he should have saved. Uh, I, I think that it, that's a fair criticism. I, I think it's a fair criticism maybe on all three goals. Is there any... I, like what may, may yeah I, I think that like Drake had a good game from the fact that he had five saves but that was because he was under pressure but also didn't have a good game because uh, a lot of those goals that they kind of just snuck in on him uh let, let's talk about Drake and he's really solidified himself as the number one I think that uh you know Phil's even alluded to that and said that he took control of it while Marsman was hurt uh but but I do think that having gone with the conversation that we had uh last week uh, about the goalkeeping situation. It's a little difficult now to have a game like that where Drake's probably uh, got a chip on his shoulder come Columbus. I, I think that he would admit that as much. Yeah, and I think... Um, Lotus yeah, nodding. Yeah. Yes, we're all in agreement. Oh, yeah. It's fair to say that some of those goals should have been saved, but 
you know, at the end of the day, you know, offense needs to score as well. So Drake can only do so, so much, uh, you know, standing on his head, uh, trying to bail Intermind me out during certain occasions. Uh, but yet then they, you know, last year should have scored that chance. Um, Damien Lowe should have scored that chance. So many chances that were missed. I'm sure the team would agree with that. But at the end of the day, I don't think there's a blaming game going on with Inter-Miami. I think they're, you know, brush it off, go on to the next game and, you know, the Columbus match will be super important. Uh, you know, the crew haven't been too good as of late. Of course, they have Cuco uh, Hernandez. I believe that's their their new uh, designated player who's just been, you know, tearing up the league. And and it'll be difficult as well. So, um, you know, but, yeah, I think some of those goals should have been saved. But at the end of the day, you know, offense needs to work as well. So, Yeah, the one thing that, that baffles me is seeing people call for – for calendar to already be replaced after one performance like like the team didn't score an open play goal like could we could we talk about that fact too yeah. as, as well as the fact is you know yes i would say two of them 100 percent. drake calendar is definitely going to want to have back um especially the caden clark one and i i, I mean I, I'll be honest. I was a goalkeeper in high school. I understood the pressure that comes with the position. And I'm sure everybody does, even from an outside perspective. Um, one game is not enough for me to say that this guy is not the starter. And after the conversation we had yesterday or last week, sorry, talking about this situation and especially with Marsman in behind him and granted Marsman is extremely quality. You don't ruin a player's confidence after a bad performance like that, that, Granted, even if he had a better performance, Miami still could have lost the game because they were not scoring goals. Um, you, you don't you don't do that to a player, especially as a coaching staff who who needs to put their faith in a young guy who they probably want to keep around uh, and who's coming up on a contract extension. So Phil, Phil even said earlier this week, he said he is the future. So I, I think, and then I think that that's like the thing that you should say to keep yeah, exactly. mentioned to keep his confidence high. It's one yeah. game, and and it's not even like an egregious. It's not like he had like a, an Alex Bono gaff that like, you know, it, it was just a little bit this of, an yeah, this isn't curious in the champions league final guys. Like this is not, <laughs> this is not that bad. And I think that for anybody who's really calling for Marsman to get the start, you've, you've not understood what calendar has done for this team in the last couple of months. And you don't understand the ramifications that come with Marsman's contract and the decision that has to be made. You need to ride with this guy till the end of the year, a hundred percent of the way, or else you're going to get yourself in a worse situation than you're already in. And if you want to go check out what we're talking about, go look at our YouTube video on the Heron outlet that we discussed this goalkeeper situation. So there are a lot of factors at play. Calendar has been quality for months on end at this point. He came into a situation where he looked like he was going to be the number three and solidified himself as a number one. So hundred percent, you need to ride with this guy and say that, you know, we, we, we back him. We have the trust in him. The defense will step up a little more too, and they'll figure this out. And you, you bring up a good point, Austin, that, that, you know, you say it's been going on for months. Well, we've been talking a lot about the immediacy of the run, the unbeaten streak that they've had that has propelled them up the standings into right now uh, a net sixth place if the the season were to end today. But saying that it's been going on for months, the only reason that they're in that position to have been able to make that run is the points that they gained, you know, back in May and June, you know, pre-Atlanta. That, that, that they were able to make that run on to, to be able to, to put themselves in this position. They also, a little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde from, from their playoff rivals. I want to get into that uh, from the results uh, this past weekend. Toronto goes on the road, wins 2-0 against Charlotte. Cincinnati and Columbus, hell is real. 
uh, finishes with late drama, a very exciting drama. They're still arguing about uh, where where feet are located and how long uh, legs are of Derek Etienne in uh, in the state of Ohio <laughs> right now. Uh, but that finishes a 2-2 draw, which is ideal for Inter-Miami if you were going through it, not ideal for Cincinnati, who, who would have jumped up uh, and, and really gives an opportunity. We'll get to the Columbus game a little later. Uh, but you keep going down. Chicago drops at home 2-0 to Montreal, who I believe Montreal's unbeaten in the Eastern Conference since April, like quietly, which is astounding. You know, some of those are like draws, like the Inter-Miami game. But they're, they're quietly still, I, I can't believe for a team that is pretty much right now locking in second place in the East, uh, that we still aren't really sure if they're that good. Phil called them the best team in the, in the, in the conference earlier this season. Um, so, so another win for them. Then we go to Sunday, and Sunday was weird. Let's just call it that. Yeah. A- Atlanta, D.C. was weird. Atlanta comes back to win 3-2. NYCFC let us down. Uh, with, with a uh, last second goal by Tesho Akindeli, uh to give Orlando a 2-1 win in what was the definition of Florida weather. Um, completely torrential downpouring in the first half and hot and humid with no rain at all in the second half. It was hilarious to watch. But the nightcap really did help uh, enter Miami as the Galaxy went on the road and defeated Revs 2-1. That is the big one, I think, because... So much of Inter Miami's playoff hopes are going to rely on Cincinnati and the Revolution dropping points because they don't get to play them anymore. A lot of the other teams they're in control of, they play Orlando still, they play Columbus twice. Uh, you know, they, they still have a game at Chicago coming up. The, those teams they're going, they have another one against Toronto. So, so they're going to be able to control their own destiny against those teams. They don't control it against New England and Cincinnati. Well, they do in the fact that they are above them right now going game by game, but they can't directly affect them. So losses and draws by those teams in particular are, are much more important when you're looking at it. the other games. You only have any, no one to blame but yourself if you wind up falling to those teams. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. And I mean, you... Miami control their own destiny 100% to make the playoffs. I would say even they probably even control their own destiny to make fifth place and jump Orlando, but kind of not really. They're pretty much on the same record besides the one more win that Orlando has. But granted, they if need Miami to win Orlando, the home game by two goals. If they want that goals. home game by two goals, they and then that. you have it. So it's that it's pretty much that that simple. Um, and yeah, I, I didn't really notice how close the Cincinnati, New England, Toronto crew was. Uh, even Atlanta as well on 33, they're only three points back of Miami and you don't play them again. So you, you've got to pick up points and that, in my opinion, puts the Columbus games, both of them, it makes them even more crucial because if you have, if you're allowing, not only is Columbus in seventh place and has a game in hand and is on the same amount of points as you, but dropping points then is allowing other teams to then catch up. So it just, it amplifies the situation to a, a magnitude that's on another level. And this playoff race, every single game, you're going to hear cup final, cup final, cup final, cup final, just yeah. nonstop. That's the only thing you're going to hear from, from Phil Neville and the players, because it's exactly what it is. You cannot um, take the risk anymore. And as much as you want them to drop points and you're hoping for it, you can't count on it. You can't bank on it. So you need to start picking up points. This new England or sorry, this New York game, uh, I think Ian, when you were when we were all discussing it and and the implications of it, it was almost not necessarily a throwaway game. It was one of the ones like if you get, you're happy with. But if you did drop it, you're still in an okay situation. Miami's still in an okay situation. 
But at the same time, they could have had, a, which is something we all would have loved, they could have had a chance, a much better chance at hosting a playoff game. And in my opinion, that would have been amazing. But it's all gone and, and gone and lost there. Uh, I, well, I think I have a question for you guys on that. Because, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I did I did go into that game, the Red Bulls game, thinking that, you know, whatever happened, that's just gravy, that, that I wasn't counting on anything. How much of that changed 30 minutes in, basically, the, the first half hour, right before the Pozuelo red card? Because you're up a goal. You're playing yeah. really well. They were yeah. clearly the better team for the first third of that game. Then all of a sudden, a, a game that felt like, ah, eh, whatever, see what you can get out of it, felt like, oh, okay, this is like a real opportunity. And I, I, yeah. I wonder if that's like what went into the psychology of it with Phil being frustrated after the game with people, you know, upset. Everybody's always kind of upset after a loss. It's just human nature. But it, the, the fact that they played so well in that first half hour, they were up one nil. They, they looked to be in control and the red card just flipped everything. I wonder psychologically how much that goes into play of like, ah, oh, man, like that it, it, it almost makes it worse. I don't think that it helped that Lewis Morgan scored two minutes before halftime either. I think that that was, that was another like na- not necessarily nail in the coffin type thing. Cause it's still one, one, but when you're up one nil with 45 minutes to play and down a man and it's one, one and you have 10 minutes, 10 man, 10 men team, and you have 45 minutes to play. It's a completely different game. Completely. Like they can hold on and bunker onto a lead. Um, and maybe even, you know, Ben not break and only give up one goal with the last 45. But when Lewis Morgan scores, it's a completely different philosophy for both sides because now Red Bulls say, yes, I can score. I can go on the front front. We're going to push. We're going to push. We're going to push. And Miami are in a situation where going into that second half, they, they had to start going for goals. And we saw that that's where a lot of their chances came from. So it's, it's a tough one. And I think that, yeah, your hopes were definitely up uh, when you look at 39 points on the table and you saw where they were and where they could be. Uh, in fifth place and then fighting for fourth. Uh, I think they'd be, what, only two points behind with the game in hand if they would have won that game. Looking at hosting a playoff game, everything changes. Now it completely changes. And that's the thing about the Eastern Conference this year and even some parts in the West, how tight everything is and how everybody just knows that the parity in this league is insane and, and going down to the decision day is almost in, inevitable at this point. Uh, it always will be, always is. And that's what we're going to be looking towards. Yeah, and I honestly, I think um, that's an accurate assessment, Ian. I, I thought, you know, I thought that, you know, if Miami could have gotten a result, maybe a draw, maybe a win out of this, it would have been good. But, you know, at the time, I think when it was still 0-0, it was, it was more like, okay, let's let's see if they can get a result. After they went one up, I think everyone was like, you know, okay, let's see if they can win here. And then after the red card, I think it was more so frustration. And, you know, maybe they let an opportunity slip from them. and. Or, or, and then as the game went on and they, they, they continued to, they went down three, one, it was more so, okay, let's regroup, let's get to the next game. And, and, you know, they didn't drop significantly, significantly in the standings either. So, you know, I think it was more of a lost chance, but I don't think they were necessarily banking on it. Of course they want to win every game, but I think, you know, you, you've said it earlier in podcasts we've recorded that, you know, they can afford to drop one of these games. So, and I think the Red Bull game was probably that one. So. And Kalini even um, alluded to this earlier. He had an interesting quote where he talked about the importance of road wins in MLS, that the, the way that you shoot up the standings is by winning on the road. Phil's talked about it a lot with this three-game road stretch with Red Bulls crew coming up this week and then next week, uh, next weekend with Chicago, that, that so many teams are so good at home 
You know, Inter Miami's got one of the best home records in all of MLS. The problem, the difference between your LAFCs and your and your Philadelphia Unions and your Inter Miamis of the world is winning on the road, um, and, and that's really where you can gain uh, traction to to rise up the standing. So, with that in mind, it now you know, like like you had alluded to, Alex, that that this you did have the option of like a throwaway game, which this kind of winds up being, I guess, in theory, and you were helped again. Uh, by your rivals not picking up points, right? Not a lot of wins uh, uh, across the board. Orlando, Atlanta, Toronto, that's really it. So um, you, you did get help, and they got help when they lost to, to NYCFC with nobody winning as well. So they really have had the benefit of the doubt on that. Now, though, it does put the pressure to get results. I think at least like four points from these next two games. You have to look at, at nabbing one of them and hopefully get a result uh, off the other. If you get that, you know, you still have three home games. You'd be, what, at 40 points with three home games. You're starting to feel pretty good. That that playoff projection cut line is still at 45. Inter-Miami is still projected to get 45 points. They started the league uh, with a playoff odds of 53%. That went as far down as 45% after Orlando won, shot back up to 48% after New England lost. So there's right now they're right about 50-50 if they'll make it. The interesting part to me at least as we have this conversation is I had expected by this point in time for the pack to have uh, pulled itself apart a little for, for maybe like Chicago, Atlanta, Toronto, Charlotte to be further down away. And this to be maybe like a four team conversation for two spots instead of still it being a, a what a nine team conversation for three spots. I thought by now it would have a, a little, we would have waned down the field just a little, which is why I guess you still have cause for concern with how much scoreboard watching you are, how many games you need to be paying attention to, which, which even like to finish the point, sorry, is, is like when you talk with the guys around the team, what they'll say is we can only focus on ourselves. And a lot of the time, you know, that's like a platitude that doesn't mean a lot. I can understand in this scenario, if you're Ariel Lasseter, who I was talking to the other day, and he, he goes, listen, we can only think about ourselves. There's just too much else going on. Some teams are naturally going to win. Some teams are naturally going to lose. The only thing that we have control over is our games. So I, I guess if, if this was like a three-team race for one spot, well, okay, you're only monitoring one or two games. That's fine. But with it being such a large swath of the pool here, uh, it, it almost makes itself moot that, that you just have to only care about you and not only that but they, they they are in a playoff position like by like right now they're in a playoff position so only worrying about you is the way to go about it because if you worry about you and you get what you need to get done then you're in the playoffs it's that simple and you don't need to monitor those other games those however many other, so many different teams now which is crazy yeah. to think about but yeah 100 right now that reigns true and reigns supreme over everything they just need to worry about themselves yeah um I agree with all of you guys. Nothing really to add here. Um, MLS is such a growing league and there's so many teams, you know, you can only really focus on uh, your club. Uh, you can scoreboard watch, you know, when you need to, but at the end of the day, Miami just need to pick up points. All right, guys, let's talk the game this week at Columbus. The last opponent in the Eastern conference that Miami has not played this year, odd scheduling in MLS, right? But they, they do end uh, the, the, the last two of, of Toronto and Columbus. Those were the two teams that they didn't play until the very end of the year. Columbus will shortly make the return trip uh, to uh, Drive Pink Stadium in a couple weeks' time. But for now, it's a game in the capital of 
Ohio, in Columbus, uh, and in a beautiful new stadium that they have. It's always a great if you, put that on your list if you're gonna go to an away game. That's a really good one to go to, and a Columbus team that that I can't say is flying high because they seem to just draw week after week after week. So they haven't really been able to to get uh, probably up the standings where they should have been. But they do only have one loss in their last 14. So as Phil was saying earlier, they, they're, they're a team that finds a way not to lose. Um, now you're ed- heading into this game with no Pozuelo, probably no Higuain, possibly no Yedlin. And all of a sudden that goes, wow, uh, you know, th- th- there's a, a large hill to climb. Uh, uh, running up that hill is going to be a, a little more difficult uh, <laughs> come, come midweek. So where do you, first off, I, we did touch on it a little, but where do you turn first? Who's your comfort? Who, wh- what, what's that warm blanket that makes you feel like you're still going to be able to get something out of this game? Yeah, I I don't know. I think it's a time for guys to step up, really. You know, Duke, Harvey Neville will surely probably start. Um, you know, guys are going to have to step up. Coco there. We talked about Robert Taylor earlier. All those guys are going to have to step up. And it's not like the team hasn't won without Gonzalo before. But, of course, Campana was on the field. But they don't have Campana either. You're, at this point, they're going to have to dig deep. And I think, you know, the the boys will definitely rise to the occasion. You know, a, a couple weeks ago, low after that win against uh, – not a couple weeks – the win after Toronto, Lowe was talking to us um, post game, and he said, "You know, the guys are like people who haven't eaten in, in years. They're so hungry for this playoff, this playoff spot." So, um, I think they'll go into this game with that same mentality, and and you know, try their best to to get uh, a result. You know, if they can win, great. If a draw, you know, that's still good. They just don't need to drop points at this point. Um, um, yeah, and I think they'll they'll take that mindset into the Columbus Columbus match. It'll be difficult, but not impossible. They they went away in Seattle earlier in the season. Of course, you know half their starters weren't playing the Sounders, but they they managed to get a win off a Robbie Robinson goal. And and you know they're going to need another performance like that. If you're asking where I find comfort and which players I find comfort, I, I would say it's probably the the spine going up the pitch to where Bryce Duke would probably be. So I would say Mota Gregory, and then whatever the center back pairing is next to Damian Lowe. Um, in my opinion, I think that we should see McVay play left back in this one. Um, and I think that you should have sailor in low play, play with one another and have those three tall, big guys. Um, you know, Etienne's fast. You got to rough up Cucho Hernandez. If you can keep a body on him, uh, you got to keep a lot of things in front of you. And I think that we saw that, uh, not in the last game, of course, but the one right before that, uh, we saw a really good back line that kept a lot of stuff in front of them. And I think that if we have that same exact lineup, other than possibly DeAndre Edlin, I think that they'll be able to do that again if they keep the play in front of them and they limit chances going towards Drake. That's where I find a lot of comfort, especially if Gregory and Malta are instructed to say, hey, guys, look. We need to be careful. This is a dynamic attack. They've been scoring a ton of goals. Granted, they're not winning games. I think they've only won one in their last six. So you can say they've lost um, like one in their last 14, but they've only won one in their last six, which is crazy to think about. Um, but I, I think that if you keep the ball in front of you and you you are able to stay solid and compact at the back with a bunch of tall defenders like McVay, like Sailor, like Damian Lowe, then I think that you can find comfort in this game and maybe leave the field with a draw and then you get to have Columbus at home. And that kind of suits suits Miami. I think a ton. How do we feel about three at the back versus four at the back in this game? Because I, I think if Yedlin can't go, I almost, 
would think that you are more inclined to go with a three at the back just to give if it if it's Harvey Neville a little less responsibility but then I mean are you starting Gibbs I mean see that's the question that yeah, for like me for it you. would be we just talked about the Taylor Neville thing Taylor's the only one who I would trust to play left wing back I mean, if you're going to play three center backs, then you are going to eliminate Taylor from possibly playing with Harvey if he is to start. You won't have that combination. And then you have to trust somebody like Vasilev or somebody on that right side that hasn't proven himself in 2022. It's just that it's just that simple. So, the, I mean, it would beg the question of what, what to do. Maybe you see a 5-3-2 and you see a Lasseter Emerson up top next to each other and you have, you know, or I guess it would look like a 5-2-1-2 if Duke moves up forward, but then you have like the midfield three of Gregory, uh, Malta, and and uh, Duke, and then you have two strikers. Just and you wonder don't play if you're giving away wingers. too much there. It just feels yeah, like you're you giving could. away a I lot. mean, you could be. That's why I'm thinking, I'm thinking back four, but... Uh, it just depends on the comfortability level of of what Neville is, uh, what Neville has in this team without a without a pure number nine that they've had in in this stretch. Alex, what do you do at left wing back there? If you, um, if you start McVeigh, honestly, and then um, worst case scenario, if Gibbs is traveling, you uh, you bring on Gibbs, switch to the back five. I think you start a back four as a, a base formation, and depending on how the game goes, if Columbus are overlapping and uh, numerically you know superior on the wings uh then miami then you bring in that flat back five and you have you know some extra width and you know hope for the best up top of course coco will probably start so there's more of a natural center forward i know he's like five eight but still he's a center forward uh you know and that could help i'm looking at the lineup from their game against Cincinnati. Columbus also play a back four with wingers, Ryan through the middle as a 10, a double pivot with Nagby and Morris. Yeah, I think you start off with a back, a flat back four, uh, play that same 4-3-3 formation, especially when Pozuelo's not there. Um, you can have more of a central box-to-box guy and Bryce Duke uh, playing that role. And I think that could plug up the midfield quite well with Gregory and Mata, maybe man marking Zellerin and um, Cuco Hernandez will be up there. Um, he, he's only about five nine, so him going against two six three six foot plus uh, central defenders and, and a left back, I think that'll be difficult for him to get anything in the air. Uh, you stymie that, you stymie Zellerian, and so they're forced to uh, use their wingers and Kevin Molino and uh, Luis Diaz to try to create something. And um, if you have speed on the wings with Lasseter and Robert Taylor, they can pin that pin back pin that back very well. So. Yeah, I think it could work a flat back four, but if that doesn't, you you switch to back five, you bring on um, Gibbs or, or, or Noah Allen, and, and you, you change up the shape a little bit. One thing I want to note too, one instruction that I think is going to be extremely important is being careful with fouls outside the box because with Celerion, one of the one of the key players in terms of shooting from outside of the box or even delivering balls from outside of the box uh, into into his players and teammates, uh, that's got to be one of the key focal points for this defense. In terms of keeping everything in front of you, yes, 100%. You got to bring in those block shots like you were if Zellerion's going to shoot them, uh, but you cannot commit too many fouls outside the 18. Let's talk stylistically Caleb Porter's tactics, what he likes to do, because I do think that Miami will have an edge there, even though I, I Caleb Porter, you know, the manager that that many know around MLS um, uh, for, for a bunch of years, I, I think that he's, he's always a guy that likes to go end-to-end, play a very open style of game. And with Miami having the depth, having the conditioning that they have, it almost plays into their hands a little. 
uh, where, where the more this game gets stretched, the better it will be for your Lassiters, for your Emersons, especially Emerson, to be able to find one-on-one space. They were working a lot earlier this week about one-on-one battles and just going, taking defenders on. I think that if you can can stretch that and really make this one of those like ping pong style games where it's 5v5 in two separate halves, it might not be the, the prettiest to watch, but I think that might wind up being the most effective way to, to counter what Columbus is going to throw at you. I think it also has to do with somewhat with their personnel as well. Um, they've had a couple of different rotating pieces in terms of how they start the lineups. Uh, it's it's normally like a four two three one. You have Zellerian in the ten, and you have two wingers. Um, and it, it's it's rotated. You've seen Molino play. You've seen Etienne play. You've seen Diaz play. You're definitely going to have the nine ten of of Cucho and Zellerian. But even in the midfield, uh, with Nagby is hundred percent mainstay. But they've had um, Aiden Morris play a lot this year, who is a Western FC Academy product. Um, the 20 year old American who's coming off a ACL injury, uh, but yeah. he's playing, he's played a lot this year, uh, but him and then they have another Brazilian defensive midfielder and Artur who, who's also played a lot of minutes. So I think that, and they play, they play different styles. So there's a lot to be said for what Caleb Porter is going to put out. And that's why Alex, I think your point too, of figuring out what the numbers look like and how the, the pitch is set up in terms of, let's say, okay, let's start with a four, two, three, one. And we, and we start Robert Taylor up on the right wing. And we see that maybe they're, they're getting, they're gaining an advantage on the wings. Uh, we want to switch to a, a five at the back. It's not hard to take Robert Taylor from the right wing and put him at left wing back. Um, so that, and then in terms of Caleb Porter style and what that does if they're going to be playing open and, and you know, there's not too much midfield play, I think, again, that does suit Miami, especially without a true number nine, because they're going to want their runners to get in behind uh, 100% of the time. I think that, you know, you you look at the Columbus defenders, and especially Jonathan Mensah, um, you know, really, really, really good. But I think that there's a lot of pace in Miami to be able to get in behind a lot of these players. And if if it does come to that sort of a game, I think it does suit Miami, like you just said. Uh, but at the same time, I have no idea what Caleb Porter is going to throw out there and what they're going to try and do. Um, but it, it's all going to depend. I don't know if it's going to be high scoring. I don't know if it's going to be low scoring. I think we saw two different, very different results even last year um, when you played at home against Columbus and only, I think they won one nil off of mistake at the back and Higuain scored. And then you go in Columbus and you lose that one. It's, it's been all over the place between these two sides. So you don't exactly know what's going to happen, but Phil Neville has proven that in his time here, especially in 2022, he's adapted quite well to a lot of different situations that's been thrown at him, especially with in-game substitutions and formation changes. At first it was a little bit rocky, but if he's able, he's been able to to catch up to speed uh, of the league and figure things out. And I think it would suit Miami if he needs to make those kinds of decisions again. Yeah, I agree. I think the matchup that I'm most excited to look for is, uh, Gregory and Malta versus uh, Zellerian and, and Nagby. That, that's really going to be uh, where my eyes are, especially Nagby versus Gregory. That'll most likely be a 1v1. And Zellerian versus Malta, that'll most likely be a 1v1. Uh, so Malta probably has to sit back, be a more traditional number six, so that those 27-yard shots might be like 35-yard shots uh, <laughs> come for this one. For Gregory to be able to, to win the ball off of Nagby. Nagby is so good in that central midfield <laughs> at, at yeah. retaining possession uh, that, that when you really think that, that they'll lose possession and, and have, uh, you know, won't have numbers going back into Miami, might have the chance to counter. Nagby is so good at just stymieing one, two touches to be able to hold on just a little bit longer. It allows everybody else to recover around. For Gregory to be able to win the ball off him, 
as quickly as he can, as high up the pitch as he can. He's doing great in pressures. I think he's got, yeah, he's got the most pressures in all of MLS by 40 right now. So um, Gregory's very good at this. He's so he like he's number one in MLS and pressures, number one in MLS and tackles one. This is the game where Gregory needs to show that because if he is pressuring Nagby and he is winning the ball off him, Inter Miami is going to have a lot more success in this one. Yeah, I agree. I think it's similar to the Alfredo Morales. Uh, was it? Uh, I keep forgetting the player's name. It was uh, Jaden Nelson of Toronto. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> not Jordy Nelson. The same uh, um, uh, tactical tweak of just pressing one of the number sixes and uh, having you know him try to circumnavigate all that mess and and I think that could work again this game, especially with Nagby. But he's so Nagby is so press resistant. I don't think it'll I don't think it'll work. You know, so maybe they'll go after Morris or whoever starts along uh, Darlington. But yeah, we're gonna have to see some high pressing. I I keep uh, preaching about this. We'll probably make shirts out of this sometime. Just high pressing is so valuable. Certain pressing triggers are so valuable, and especially in MLS where it's not technically the best league, you know, they can press certain players and they may not know how to get out of it. And this game could be one of those games, maybe not with Darlington Nagby on the field or Zellerin or, or any of the other players, but, you know, maybe their center backs, if you, you catch them at a bad moment, you know, Jean assuming, Coco Jean assuming he starts, can slip through and, and get his first goal from Miami, who knows? But um, yeah, it'll be an interesting uh, tactical battle between Porter and 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 Neville, and I'm sure uh, Neville will have uh, kind things to say about Caleb. You know, Neville's such a fan of the league, so I'm sure he's he's been watching Columbus closely. Austin, you mentioned them in defense, and and I guess without a central striker, how how do you attack Pedro Santos? Because he has been a very good defender for them. How do you draw him out? I think that that's probably where you could find success if you if if Coco almost like like drops deep then maybe you can pull santos away and get those wingers behind how do you attack him in the middle yeah i think that that would be like a in a false nine type of role that that could really suit miami but also i think with that false nine role this is where I'm thinking that maybe a five at the back makes the most sense because you want to have overlapping. this is why i just over, keep going back and forth between it, it, it. it goes back and forth because you want to have I want to see Harvey Neville overlap Taylor if he's playing on the right wing, or I want to see whoever, even McVeigh, overlap Lasseter and and try and get numbers and penetration on the wings while dropping in somebody like a Coco if he is to start. And you you are able to not necessarily. I mean, you just draw him out. That's that's all you have to do, and that's that's the best way to get in behind. We've seen it in Miami score this way before. Uh, Higuain making dummy runs and drawing out a defender and Pozuelo putting the ball in or Duke putting the ball in behind the back line. I think that that's going to be one of your best options, but do you do it at the four at the back or do you do it with the five at the back? And that's going to be the question. Alex, when, when you look at, at what they need to get out of this game, is it three points or bust? Because uh, with you having four road games, three at home now, I, I'd like to say you can get five points at home from those three games, but you are putting a lot of pressure on that Columbus at home, Orlando at home. And in the same week, Montreal on decision day, if, if as you're starting to, to project that out, if you can get five points out of that, okay, now we're like projecting here. That's 41 points. They need to find four, five points elsewhere. So is it, is it three points or bust here or could you get away and be happy with a point? Uh, I think you get a point here. Um, I think, Columbus can be dangerous, especially with Kuko up top. I think you, you get a point, and that's fine. Um, looking at their uh, Miami schedule now, 
Um, yeah, it's, it's not going to get any easier for them. After Columbus, they have Chicago away. So I think that's probably the game they're going to try to target and, and try to get three points. It's probably the most feasible game that they can do that. So I think a draw, you know, a, a loss, draw, and win in three games is not too bad, and, and it will keep them in playoff position. And to Alex's point, Austin, it, you know, you, you'd have 10 days rest for that Chicago game. You'd get Pozuelo back. You'd probably get Higuain back. You'd get DeAndre healthier for when he's going. So you're, you're a little more in tune, but also a point. I mean, three points is, is huge because it's directly against it. becomes a six pointer in, in essence, but getting that draw Austin, it, it, it almost levels the playing field. It keeps the status quo where it is against Columbus, which I think could be valuable come later on, especially when Columbus makes a return leg. Yeah, it's exactly what I, that's exactly what I was thinking. I think you get a point and you you go to the, you go all out in that home game. Um, and I think a, another thing and another reason to maybe just go for a point here, um, you, you have the weekend off because of the, the Orlando move and you have a weakened roster in terms of injuries right now, especially with Higuain uh, and Yedlin uh, because of the weekend and Campana may be coming back by the 10th. We, we don't know is when which is when they play Chicago. Um, so there's almost a little bit of a silver lining there in that, that Orlando game being moved because you get a break at a time in which this team really, who really thought, needs it. Right? Who would have thought? Yeah. yeah. Who would have thought um, at first it looks like it looked like misery, but at the end of the day, I think Miami are, are actually catching a break here and it, it could really suit them um, in a favorable way. So this match on Wednesday, I think if you lose, you're definitely pretty upset with yourselves. A hundred percent. Uh, I think you need to gain something from this match if you want to seriously solidify yourself within the coming weeks. I think the Chicago game is extremely winnable, and if you get four points out of these two and other results fall your way the way they've been having, having, haven't been, and teams are playing to the form that they've been in the last couple of weeks, 100%, I, I think that Miami could solidify themselves as a true, 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 true contender for the playoff spot, if they even just by getting a point here. It'll be an exciting one, too, around the league. A ton of games. 7.30 on Wednesday also has Atlanta traveling to Philly. Also has Red Bulls going to Montreal. Chicago and New England play, hopefully to a draw. That's where you're looking there. Orlando hosts Seattle. Toronto hosts the Galaxy. So a lot of uh, a lot of very um, important games for Inter-Miami, not just taking care of business against Columbus, but also around the league as it will be for the next few weeks that will be it for us on the heron outlet this week make sure you follow like subscribe on twitter on instagram on our youtube channel for alex winley for austin roblard and for our producer andres i am ian heston we'll see you right back here next week